Hey, you guys, welcome back to another episode of Have You Not Heard? I am Angel H. Davis. I'm your host. And today we are covering True Love Part 2. Remember, our overall goal in this series is attempting to look at a true roadmap of what love really is. We looked at biblical love last week and why it matters. We talked about biblical love being sacrificial, others-focused, servant-hearted, and unconditional. We'll unpack that more today. And why does it matter so others may know His love and have hope? So we can stand in our truth, in love, and we can walk in obedience just like Jesus did. So let's get rolling. So listen to this devotional I read this week, and all the resources that I talk about in the scriptures will be in the show notes. So I may not reference them outright, but they will be there for you to look up if you desire. So this week I read this. We need power to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And we need power to know this love that surpasses knowledge, apprehending our belovedness and the belovedness of others. Paul is saying, take something beyond ourselves. The spirit gives us the capability, the resource we need to perceive God's love and to revel in it. The more we revel in the love God has for us, the more we light up with the energy source of the Holy Spirit for living. When we forget the fullness of Jesus's love for us, we flicker and in some cases flame out entirely. And that was Dan Wilt and from the Holy Spirit as our energy source. And again, isn't that what we, we talked about last week? It's just reiterating that we have to receive it in order to give it. Now, I also read this this week, a quote from a secular book, and it said, genuine love is the only commodity that can be given away without ever running out. Do you hear that? Again, secular book, genuine love is the only commodity that can be given away without ever running out. I don't know about you, but that makes me want to break out in the Jesus culture song that his love never fails and never gives up, never runs out on me. That's what that reminds me of. But it begs the question, right? What is genuine love? If you're reading that book and you um, are not a believer in Christ and the truth of the Bible, how would you define genuine love? Um, and in this day and age where truth is getting redefined by man, I choose to believe the creator of man, and that would be sovereign God, to define us and what he put in us and cause us to act out of. So he is love. He puts love in us through the Holy Spirit. So I am choosing to believe what he says love is. To me, one of the scariest things I'm witnessing right now in our society is that we think we're smart enough to redefine God's truths. And man, 
again, that just scares me. It's like we are so clever that we're thinking of things and seeing things that God himself didn't see or anticipate. Man, and like other cultures haven't tried to do the same and ended up in destruction and dead ends, meaning other generations in the past, because we can look at that biblically, right? Like Babylon, but I digress. So let's get back on topic. Um, it seems it seemed like the Commodores, aka Lionel Richie, knew truth back in 1980 when they released a song called Jesus is Love. Y'all, I grew up in that era. I don't remember this song, but listen to some of the words. It, here's some of the lyrics. Father, help your children and don't let them fall by the side of the road and teach them to love one another, that heaven might find a place in their hearts because Jesus is love. He won't let you down because his love and his wisdom will be our helping hand. And I know the truth and his words will be our salvation. Lift up your hearts to be thankful and glad that Jesus is love he won't let you down. And I know he's mine deep down in my soul. I know, Lord. And if you ask, show, love is the word forever and ever and ever. Who can bring you love? Jesus. Who can bring you joy? Jesus. Who can turn your life around? Jesus. Can you believe that? I just want to shout amen and amen that this was playing on secular radio in 1980s. We could unpack that all day long because it's full of scripture, but this is a talking about genuine love. So let's keep looking. There, um, the Bible talks about different kinds of love, and traditionally we've talked about three of those. A lot of people say there's four. Some people say there's seven. I'm going to mention four. There's agape love, which is what we're going to be focused on today. So I'll talk about that more in a minute, but that is God's love. And then there's storge love, which is familial love, and it refers to natural or instinctual affection. Um, such as love towards a parent, offspring, and vice versa. So the word storge itself is not found in scripture. Its contrary form is, though, the word astorgos. I'm sure I'm butchering that word. is used in the Greek translation of scripture, and it means without natural affection. As we can see in the King James Version of Romans 1.31, Paul warns that during the end times, people will become so selfish that they will live without any sense of natural affection for their own family. And you can also reference 2 Timothy 3, 3 on that. Phileo love or philia love, as some people say, is a memorable way to think about it is the word Philadelphia. It is um, like that love for family, but it's towards non-family members. So interesting enough, um, the Greek translation of the biblical passage telling us to be devoted to one another in love is that word. So that's that word Philadelphia. 
and it's instructing us to love our neighbors as if they were our brothers, as if they were family. And that's Romans 12, 10, which is our key uh, scriptures. And then there's Eros love, which is the passionate love, the sexual love. And our word uh, from the English word erotic comes from that love. While it's Eros is important within a marriage relationship, and it is created by God. Song of Solomon is all about that. It can also be abused or mistaken for storge love. The Bible is clear that sexual immorality, out-of-control Eros, is a sin. If you look at 1 Corinthians 6, 18, 1 Thessalonians 4, 3, um, and this was interesting. Somebody noted in, in my research that notably Eros love is the only type of love that, if practiced without restraint, can become a sin. The Bible warns that Eros love without boundaries amounts to sexual immorality. Wow. I, I think it's so interesting that our culture this culture has made such a big deal of redefining what love is, specifically in regard to sex, when it is the only type of love that can lead us to sin. Did someone say spiritual warfare? Okay, let's get back on topic. All righty. So we are all called um, by Jesus himself. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. And he's referring to Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 7. So God says that this is our highest call. It is to love your Lord or your God with all our heart, soul, and mind, and then to love our neighbors as ourselves. Wow. That's, again, another scripture that we could unpack for a long time, um, but we will just let it have its say. So listen to some of these excerpts from a study on Romans. It's by Max Lucado in the Grip of Grace. It's a Bible study that's online. Lori McClure is um, the editor, and some of these are her words. The agape love that is only possible with God is an overwhelming grace in our lives. We don't have agape love naturally. We don't have that kind of love without God, the Holy Spirit. It's his grace that leads us to love self-sacrificially and outside our comfort zone. We love because he first loved us, 1 John 4, 19. We're loved and so we love. We are called to love our neighbors as ourselves through the power of the Holy Spirit. I don't have that kind of love naturally, neither do you. Thank God that he endows us with his strength to do so. Because love is a fulfillment of the law, Romans 13, 10, we have to love those who are hard to love and don't do them harm in return. And our, you know, our fleshly reaction, right, is this, this is my words, my interjection is to want to uh, retaliate and um, fight back. But God, Jesus's lane looks different. He chooses love because he first loved us, meaning God, and we don't retaliate. 
Max Lucado goes on to say, we will only accomplish this kind of love when we have, as Paul describes, sober judgment about who we are and what we've been given. We will only exhibit this kind of grace toward others when we truly comprehend the oceans of grace that we ourselves have received from God. So Jesus's lane of loving, I love that statement. How did he love? And that leads us to the challenge that we were left with last week to study the gospels and just start gleaning from Jesus's life, how he loved. Again, what is he showing us about love? How did he do it? What did we like about it or not? And are we willing to bend our will and our ideas to conform to his truth? So sacrificial love and unconditional love is what agape love is. And we are all entitled and able to have that love through Jesus Christ because we are all um, made in his image. So we all have value to God. For some of us, we think of sacrificial love as giving everything we have, like everything, time, money, energy, love, passion, etc. never taking a break, never saying no until we're totally spent and bent and burned out. That would not be what God is calling us to. And then for others, we may think sacrificial love is like giving up our coveted favorite seat in our favorite pew at church. (laughs) and not being resentful about it. Or like last week, giving up my time, uh, you know, where I wanted to do something and my husband wanted to do something else. That's really not what agape love is. Although these are the fine tuning things that God uses to grow us in that. Or as another friend and I joke about you can have my last piece of brown bread. I mean, that's how sacrificial I'm being. (laughs) No, the Bible calls us uh, to a more extreme kind of love. Um, In Matthew, he talks about, I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you or take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. That's some sacrificial love to give the shirt off our backs, so to speak. He also talks about to use our talents, to give them away. And if we do, they will multiply. So Jesus was kept by love. The love of the Father and the love he had for his Father is what kept him in the lane. And that's what can keep us in the lane. He trusted he would be provided for. He was secure in who he was and whose he was. So let's keep looking at how he loved. Um, You know, I flipped open the scriptures and I went to John, you know, because that seems to be a good place to start in the Gospels. And, you know, the first thing you see about Jesus is his humility um, and obedience. And, of course, obedience is, I think, the hallmark of his love. And he talks about, you know, we'll, we'll show God our love through our obedience, but he had John the Baptist, uh, uh, baptize him because that is what fulfilled the scripture. And, um, he knew that that had to happen, but it took humility to allow that to happen. Right. So he's following scripture. 
and uh, he was humble and allowed John to baptize him. You know, you think about he washed the disciples' feet. He obeyed his mother at the wedding in Cana, and he honored her. And throughout scripture, he honored her. Even to his last breath, he honored her. And he elevated women. He saw their heart. So Jesus loved by um, being obedient and having that humble heart and seeing other people's heart. And despite knowing the sin nature of man, which is very clear, um, he talks about in John 2 that he, he saw their hearts, he, but he loved them anyway. And he also talks about in other scriptures that, you know, like Luke 5, 22, where he knew the Pharisees were grumbling about what he was doing. He said, uh, Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, why are you thinking these things in your heart? So he knew what they were thinking, but he spoke truth in love because he um, knew that truth could potentially set them free and show others what truth was. So that's another way he loved. He spoke truth in love. He didn't hold back what was true. He spoke to Nicodemus truthfully, to the Samaritan woman truthfully, but it was with kindness. His heart was set on them knowing the love of God. So we got to think about when we're speaking our truth or what we believe is true from the gospel, are we doing that out of a kind, loving place? Not that we can't be direct and speak it plainly, but are we doing it because we are wanting that other person to receive the love of God, receive the truth of God that will set them free? Or are we doing it to make a point or to prove ourselves right and them wrong. Because if that's the case, then you got a war. You don't have a loving relationship. And also think about that in your <laughs> other relationships, really important. So he spoke truth in love. He forgave um, all through scriptures. You see that, of course, all through the gospels, the adulterous woman and John 8. And not only did he forgive, but he empowered her to go and change her life, sin no more. Um, and Jesus's last breath was forgiving. You know, he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And of course, uh, the woman at the well is such a great, um, you know, example of forgiveness. And he spoke truth to her first in love, which she was able to receive and then, you know, forgave her. And she was so full of excitement. She went and preached the first um, sermon in her town and told everybody about who Jesus was. And that's what happens when we get full of, of love is we can't help but speak about him. Jesus served. He served. He served by healing. He served by feeding. He served by meeting physical needs and spiritual needs. He served by spending time with people. He served by encouraging people, loving people, seeing people, uh, calling out truth, uh, whether that was you know, again, truth and love that was convicting or, you know, edifying to call them up. Well, both hand, because conviction is an edification called up to a higher place. 
So serving really encompasses a whole bunch of other things I'm going to mention. But uh, so I already mentioned he healed. That was uh, one of the things he did out of love. But it was also mainly, and this is a point I think we we miss in scripture. And a lot of people have a different opinion about this, and I respect that. But if we look at the Gospels and Jesus' healing, he was healing to show that the kingdom of God was at hand. So he was healing to show the truth of the power of the gospel so that people would come to believe in him as a savior and spend eternity in heaven. So he also sacrificed, he literally sacrificed his life. So, you know, what greater love has no one than this, that someone who would lay down his life for his friends. And we may not be called to sacrifice our literal life, although some people on this side of heaven are because they are in the persecuted churches but we certainly are called to die to ourself, our flesh, it mentally, emotionally, spiritually. He um, spent time. That was another way he loved on people. He spent time with his father in prayer. So just like we can love on God by spending time meditating on his word and communing with him in prayer. Jesus did that. He spent time with his disciples and his friends. In fact, he was called a a glutton because he did that, that he enjoyed, you know, having a good meal with people and fellowshipping. And sometimes with those who were to the world ill, ill repute. So Jesus taught and he shared wisdom. I think you know, that's one of the uh, a great way he shared love. You think about John again, that was the main um, gospel I was flipping through, but of course looked at others. But, um, you know, he just, he talks about from John 10 all the way to 17, he's teaching and equipping us on who we are and who he is and how to live life without him, right? Because uh, he wasn't always going to be there. So like a good parent, training up a child to be able to function well in the world. But this is even beyond that. So it's kind of a poor analogy because he's talking about eternal things. Um, We are his sheep. We can hear his voice. He is the shepherd. Uh, He's also teaching us about who the evil one is, that there is an evil one that has come to steal, kill, and destroy the things of God. And he will try to tempt us to do that or dupe us into believing that his way is the better way. And we look at the uh, the temptations in the, in the wilderness that Jesus had to deal with, and he was slaying those temptations of the evil one so that we can be empowered to do the same. Um, he was, uh, you know, just teaching us about the Holy Spirit and equipping us with what to do with the Holy Spirit and how to utilize him and how to carry on his mission here on earth to all the nations, to the whole world. Jesus also loved us by 
comfort and compassion. And of course, you know, John 11 and Lazarus and Martha and Mary and that whole story is one of the powerful ways he he shows that. But also he, he fed the thousands, you know, the, the multitude of crowds out of compassion. And he also would forsake like his quiet time or his rest time with his disciples um, to minister to the crowds. So his heart is one of compassion and comfort. And, you know, one of the most poignant, I think, scriptures is John um, eleven thirty five. Jesus wept. Two words that has such amazing implications. But we also know that um, in the Old Testament, you know, God is described as a God of compassion and abounding love. So Jesus also received love. And I think that's really important because again, he was fully God, fully man. And in his fully man, uh, he needed to receive that love also. Hence why he was in prayer. He allowed Mary to anoint his feet and wipe his hair against, you know, the disciples, uh, cry that this was not good and that this um, ointment could have fed, you know, thousands and could have been used in a different way. Um, he knew, again, what was coming. He knew what was needed to prepare him for um, uh, the cross and the resurrection and the burial and uh, he knew. So he was fulfilling again in obedience, what God called him to, but also in that receiving love. So you, gosh, it's hard to even imagine what Mary must have felt like to be able to honor her Lord like that. And we get the opportunity to honor God in different ways um, by receiving his love. So Jesus, again, radically obeyed. We've talked about that, but just some other um, examples, of course, is the Garden of Gethsemane, where he literally sweated blood, where we feel his angst in um, wrestling with the warfare and the evil, and then literally carrying his cross in John 19, 17. And then his literal death on the cross, 1930. And Jesus said no. That was part of how he showed his love. And that might surprise you, but saying no can be a loving thing. Um, he said no to Lazarus' friends who told him them to come, come quick, because Lazarus was sick. And he lingered, and most of y'all know that story, or you can look it up in John 11. But again, he knew the big picture. He knew God's plan, and he was obedient to what his father was telling him to do. So sometimes when we are following God in love, we have to say no to other people. And we've got to trust that if it is God telling us to say no, that he is going to take care of the needs of other people. And like he raised Lazarus from the dead when it looked like it was impossible, he's got ways to minister and to provide for people. Now, that doesn't put us out of our responsibility of um, 
providing and sharing and um, ministering to people in love. And we're going to talk about that more when we unpack our um, Romans 12, 9 through 21. But there are times when God says no, and it's for their benefit and for our good. And we need to trust that. Uh, it's like I, you know, he led me to close my counseling practice and I couldn't see how that could be good. Um, but I had to trust that it was his better plan. He said no to his disciples when they said, you know, there's all these people here. Let's dismiss them, send them away to get something to eat. And Jesus said no in a really nice way. <laughs> probably not how I'd say it, but Jesus said, you give them something to eat. So he was saying, nope, not a good idea, but here's what you're going to do. And then he, you know, tells us in Matthew five to simply let her yes be yes and her no be no. So there is permission to say no, and that can be loving. And finally, I'll close on the way he loved by setting boundaries. Um, he gave us boundaries for our safety and well-being, like go and sin no more. Don't tell anyone about this healing. Get in the boat and go to the other side. Remain in me. Obey my commands. Um, those are some of the, the boundaries I think about. And think about it. This is analogy always breaks down, but it's, again, a way to kind of get a glimpse. As a parent, you are going to set boundaries for your kids because it's about loving them and keeping them safe. We know psychologically that people that don't have healthy discipline, which is where disciples come from, which is just about training and growing up, is they don't feel loved. They don't feel loved. When kids don't get disciplined, they don't feel loved. So setting boundaries is um, about his love. And he modeled those boundaries for us. He took his own, own personal prayer time, Luke 5, 16 and other places. It says, so he himself often withdrew into the wilderness and prayed. So being fully man, he needed to spend time with his father, but also being fully God is just probably part of the beautiful dance of joy that he had um, with his father. So he was honest and direct with people. He didn't try to manipulate. He just told them truth, which is setting a boundary. So like John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now you can say that from a heart that is trying to manipulate or pressure and we can do that as his uh, representatives, right? Like you better believe in him or, or we can just say it from truth and let truth have its say in people's hearts and trust God with their heart. He set priorities. Um, Luke 16, 13, it says, no servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. So he's saying, put God first. And he did that. He did that. He only did what he saw his father doing or said what he, his father was saying. So he was pleasing God first, not people. He walked away from some people that wanted healing. He walked away from some conversations um, 
so again, we are called to do the same and he empowers us to do the same. So yeah. Wow. Okay. So that's just scratching the surface. Of course, there's so much more that um, we can learn from Jesus. So I hope it's a never ending lifelong lesson that we're always looking for is about Jesus and his love and what that means. And again, bending our will and our thoughts and our emotions to what he says is genuine love. Let me pray for us. Oh, Holy Father, I know that I had much trepidation even doing this episode today because your love is so holy. It is so pure. It is so life-giving that there's just no way a human can do it justice. So, Lord, I pray you take the truths that we looked at, the scriptures that that these listeners will look at after or they heard during the podcast, and you will do exceedingly and abundantly more than we could ever dream or imagine as we revel in your love, as we meditate on your love, as we ask for more of your love and to be filled and our hearts to be expanded so that, Lord, we can walk in this world in a way that would represent you well and bring the kingdom here on earth and to help those who need hope and need healing through your love. You desire it for every single soul that we run into and help us remember that no matter what we feel, no matter the differences, that they are made in your image and you love them. Help us to love as you love, Lord, through the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's in your powerful name, Jesus, I pray. Amen. Well, you guys, wow, so much to ponder. But one of the things that I would encourage you to ponder this week is that Jesus, you know, scriptures say in the uh, historical accounts, you know, talk about that he was 33 years old when he died. So his active ministry was only three years of those 33. So think about that. You know, he, we don't get much information on those first 30 years. We, he does talk about where Jesus was, um, you know, in the temple talking with the biblical scholars at when he was like 12, I think is uh, the age around there. Um, so it also said that Jesus grew in stature, which is maturity and favor with God and men. So we're called to do the same, but we can assume that he was doing his ordinary life, studying, learning, loving, waiting, waiting for God's timing, for his father's timing, waiting for that go lever that was pulled in heaven that said, okay, now's the time for the redemption plan to be put into motion. But the rest of his life, he patiently waited. He did life. He had siblings, a mom and a dad. He worked. So think about this. He loved others in the ordinary of his life for about 90% of his life. The other 10% was much more public. 
And so perhaps our everyday ordinary acts of love, sacrificing for others, encouraging, providing for their needs, holding our tongues when we want to speak out and choosing to not be offended, choosing to forgive, smiling and speaking life to others, saying no when it's a loving thing to do. Perhaps these have more impact on the world than the 10% of what we think is a big thing. I don't know, maybe not, but I kind of think it might be true. So maybe if you've been waiting for the big thing in your life to really love and to really sacrificially serve others and the Lord, how about we start today in the ordinary and let's see what happens. Have a great week. I look forward to continuing our journey next week.